You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Podcast Detroit. This is Liz Reed, your resident guru here, taping with my girl Julie in Royal Oak. We are happy to be here today. We are going to dedicate our show today to Julie's birthday. Oh my. Yeah, happy birthday, girlfriend. Thanks. She's getting a little old. Not bad, though. 46. I wish uh-huh. I was 46. I'm 58. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wish I was 46. I mean, I feel 36. 26. Hey, do I you? Even, I, well, you just, look just because young. I'm immature and like not done with college and like I have a young kid, so I don't feel 46. Let me just say this. At 46 years old, that's when I returned back to college. All right. And got two degrees. So there's all kinds of great stuff ahead of you. You know what I mean? For you sure. just keep moving. Absolutely. Um, today is an interesting day. Shannon won't be with us, unfortunately. Some bad news to Shannon and her family. Um, our hearts go out to her. Um, we'll have her talk about that at our next podcast. Uh, something bad happened within her family. And I feel very sad for her, um, yeah, related terrible. to a lot of what we all go through here and what we talk about here on our show. Um, today we're kind of, we were kind of wrestling with what should we really talk about today? I don't really know what we should talk about. And then I thought about something that I hear all the time, guilt and shame, making amends for the things that we've done, said, or do to other people. Um, when we go into sobriety, when we start getting sober, when we start feeling better, um, I think that's one of the hardest things. Which step is that, by the way? Um, well, the making amends spe- step is, um, eight, eight and nine. Eight and nine, is it? <laughs> Like we should know that off the top of I mean, our heads. I do know it. But, I, I, know, um, I don't. Well, I don't. So you make you make the list in eight. You know, you make a list of all the people you've harmed, and then in nine, okay. you make direct amends. You make direct amends. Okay. Yeah. So I think where that gets kind of convoluted, and people have a t- hard time with that, is thinking that they need to tell everybody everything that potentially ever happened or things that they ever did, which could is also part of the AA guidelines that there are certain things you don't want to tell people because you're going to hurt them. Yeah. So here's what I say. Yeah. Like in terms of this. Mm-hmm. And this is my opinion, total yes. opinion. There's no all like, about that rule here. about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say that husband and wife married many years. Yeah. Let's say that uh, it's the husband who's the alcoholic or drug addict in mm-hmm. this in this circumstance, and the husband um, had an affair, mm-hmm. and the wife like really knows about it. Like she doesn't know who, but she maybe even kind of knows who. He's never admitted it. Yeah, it's but like loose. all the evidence is there, mm-hmm. and it's been driving her crazy for years. Sure, and now he's sober and he's done with the affair, mm-hmm. and now he is. Um, and now he's in the making amends process. Okay. Um, should he tell her? Now, in this case, I would say probably because if she already knows and it's something that's kind of keeping her up at night 
and the details are plaguing her. Yeah. And, you know, it's always going to be the thing that she kind of can't move over unless she doesn't admit it. And mm-hmm. if there's a dishonest element to not telling, then I think, yeah, you probably mm-hmm. tell. Now, mm-hmm. on the other side of it, let's say husband has had a couple of affairs. Wife has no idea. Wife thinks husband is fantastic. Sure. And would never do such a thing. Mm-hmm. Husband has guilt. Yeah. He feels really bad. Uh-huh. He's carrying this on his shoulders, and he would like to come clean about this. Mm-hmm. But when to do so would cause harm to others. So yes. he lays this on his wife, who knows nothing about his his indiscretions, and now she's got this heavy load to bear. And now she can't. So in that case, I would say maybe you make amends in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, but mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't, I don't. For me personally, it's. Um, I have to be totally honest in my life. I don't even really like white lies. Like I really mm-hmm, – mm-hmm. if I have to not be totally honest about something, I would rather say nothing than yeah. something that's like a different version of the truth. So sure. that would be hard for me. But I think we really have to think about when the truth – if it's just to unload our burden – yeah. And it's going to be harmful to give that information to somebody else. Well, of I course. Like and then there's different variances of things that you're going to be admitting to. So if you're admitting to, like, if somebody actually knows that you potentially had an affair and that is a deal breaker in your relationship, yeah, I do believe you need to come clean in those situations. If there's this kind of vague, I think I sort of kind of maybe he did, maybe he did not, I'm not real clear on that, we're better off just not knowing because we're on the right track right now, I think there's no need for that. Right. I also think that if it's, yeah, just going to unburden you so you can have a clear conscience going, yeah. yes, okay, we're all good. And your wife or husband is sitting in the corner shaking like a leaf going, I want to die now. I can't believe that right. <laughs> you told me right. that, you know, you're, you've ruined my life now. Um, that's not a good idea. No, and that's that, exactly what amends are not supposed to be. Yeah. They're not this come clean confession that absolves. I mean, that's, I think, the, the misconception behind them is yeah. that, like, I get to say I'm sorry for everything I ever did and then you're going to forgive me without any questions being asked and I get to walk a free person. Like, that's really not what it's about. No. And it doesn't typically pan out that way either. No. And, we, you know, and the last thing you want to do is create more problems. Right. Now, there are certain people, though, making amends also goes into people you've stolen from, people that you've taken things from, hurt or, uh, you know, uh, taken their car or misused their good friendship. Right. That's a whole nother type of amends that people have a hard time dealing with and don't know how to um, actually go about doing this. It seems like those seem to be that and four seem. uh, uh, What am I talking about? What are the steps? Steps. Thank you very much. The steps seem to be the hardest ones. Yes. You know, really thinking about what you've done wrong in all this. But those are also the ones that bring us to the freedom. Right. Yes. That's what I feel like, in my opinion, is the difference difference between um and and not for everybody but Mm -hmm. in my experience and in my view is the difference between somebody who maybe has worked 12 steps and gotten sober through that process and somebody who just says nope i'm never drinking again and i don't drink i think Mm -hmm. that there's a different i think i believe personally that there's a different kind of freedom that comes with moving through all those steps and releasing that stuff okay so you know what? This is where you and I will have something interesting to talk about. My road to sobriety was entirely different than yours. Right. My life in addiction was entirely different than yours. Um, although they all end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. I was completely depressed. 
I, I, I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to be me. I didn't know how to get out of it. I couldn't handle the way I felt. I couldn't handle the way, um, my day was going. I knew that every day was getting worse and it wasn't getting any better. And I couldn't see myself ever not having a drink again. Um, yes, I got a DUI long before that, but that wasn't even a problem. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like people were saying, you got to go to rehab. You got to do something. It was me saying something's really wrong. Yeah, of course, my husband is like, dude, you know, you got to slow down. Mm-hmm. You got to pull it together. And when my daughter wasn't around, our step, my stepdaughter, I didn't drink, you know, or I mean, I would have a drink, but I would wasn't wasted or anything like that. As the pressure mounted, I started drinking more. So it was like two years of drinking really intensely. But so I went to, I went to a um, detox and release um, one time that was after being on a bender for a couple of days. And I had like the wherewithal, like we were talking about before, that I was scared I'd have a seizure. You know, if I just stop, guilt and shame, mm-hmm. right? So fast forward, I get out of uh, detox and release and I had no intention of quitting drinking. And so then I was like, okay, I'm good. I slowed down for quite a while. I was just, you know, went, got off of vodka and started drinking wine. Remember we talked about that? Boxes Uh of wine. (laughs) And uh, I was still catering, working, functioning, doing well. You know, I wasn't drunk every day or anything like that. I did drink every day, but I wasn't drunk every day. And then slowly but surely it picked back up again. Some more things happened. Then I found myself back in that situation and I um, was out in California and um, I had my stepdaughter with me and a series of events went on there. I ended up asking a friend to take me to rehab. I flew my stepdaughter home to Arizona and I went to a rehab out there and I was like, still, I, I was didn't like, know that that's the yeah, in town. I forgot about it. Actually, I swear to God, I forgot about this. Um, I went to a detox and release type situation there. And I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be, you know, after I came out of my coma, I was like, I, okay, I don't want to be here. My brother was involved in the whole situation, and that was ugly, made everything 10 times worse. So I went, so I left. I just left the rehab and flew back to Arizona and drank for like two more days, three more days, and was like, this has got to end. This is absolutely has to end. And that's when I went to detox and release that, and that was the final one. And I just said, this is all, you know, it just seemed to like happen so fast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like where you're like, you know, I have to do this. Okay. Well, maybe I don't. Then it's like, okay, I have to do this. Okay. Maybe, maybe I don't No, No, it's got to happen because we're ending up with the same result. Right. Yeah. So from all of that. So when I went to detox and release and I came home from that, that was it. It was it. That's when I got into therapy and AA heavy, hardcore every single day. And, um, I was working the program really hard and I was seeing, I was in outpatient therapy as well. And I had made a commitment to myself that I was not going to let any of these people take me down. I wasn't going to let my anxiety take me down. I was going to let meditation and yoga rebuild me. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't going to be that person ever again. And so thank the Lord Jesus, I am still that person today, not without my own battles with anxiety disorder and trauma, but um, I work on it all the Mm -hmm. time and you have to, right? But what came with all of that and what we're talking about now is making amends. I've apologized to my husband. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, he's like, oh, honey, you know, I'm like, no, no, man, I feel bad. You know, that was, even though it was your family giving me a lot of shit, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. I should not have been that person. Mm -hmm. I've apologized to my stepdaughter you know, all those things were very, very hard on me. I felt very bad about mm-hmm. my behavior and who I was as a person. And it wasn't like I even did anything. 
It really, you know what I mean? It right. wasn't like outbursts or yelling. I was just sitting there destroying myself right. and going back to sleep, drinking and going back to sleep, right. you know, when she wasn't around. And that's, that's no way to live either, right? So my point of all of that is guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that our audience um, doesn't understand the difference between guilt and shame, doesn't understand how that works. And in a lot of ways, when we look at guilt, um, when we have a lot of guilt, it's from something that we have done. But if we stop that behavior, we change that behavior, it, we, we can... We, we feel bad about what we did, but we can change it. Right. 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 When we're dealing with shame, it's a disappointment within ourselves. Almost disgust, don't you think? Yeah. Like, yep. I think mm-hmm. of shame and I think of like disgust. Yep. We feel bad about who we are. So this is kind of what I'm saying is I can look you dead in the eye today and tell you that I do not have any shame. Yeah. I, I was going to say I don't have any guilt. I have guilt about stupid stuff every day. Sure, I'm guilt, sure. You know, food guilt, every yeah. kind of guilt. Oh, so, yeah. like guilt, whatever. But mm-hmm. I can tell you that I do not feel shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sure did. I mean, I was I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I did all the things that we do, right? Like yeah. really bad, quote, quote, bad stuff. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the process of moving through the steps is what released that shame in me. Mm-hmm. So yes, I have a, right. I have another friend who's been sober for a few years, uh, four I think, and I love this girl so much. I don't know if she'll ever listen to this, but um, I know that she has held on to some stuff. Yeah. Um, when she first got sober, she had a couple secrets, and mm-hmm. she had some stuff that she wasn't ready to tell another person. And I think that that's probably why she didn't embrace the the program because yeah. she heard this honesty aspect and. She was like, mm-mm. Now, when I heard the as- honesty aspect, I was like, okay, okay, I, I get it. I'm as sick as my secrets. I'm going to tell you everything. I don't want to, I don't want to hold anything in ever again. Mm-hmm. But I also was ready to release. So she had some stuff that maybe she wasn't really quite ready to release, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now, four years later, I can see in her that she has a lot of shame. Yeah. And a lot of guilt because she hasn't been able to have the opportunity to talk to someone who has said, I did it too. Yeah, you're normal. Yep. Or if I didn't do it, this girl over here, see, she did it. Normalizing, we it all did is it. Huge importance. It's so important. Like we all make a lot of the same oh, mistakes, yeah. a lot of the same mm-hmm. lifestyle stuff. Like we're all in it. So I think mm-hmm. that if you're carrying around these burdens on your own, mm-hmm. you're feeling even even ten years sober, mm-hmm. full of guilt and shame, yeah, because you haven't had a process to yep. let it go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like grateful every day. And you know, I um. We've touched on this before. Sometimes I worry a little bit about, like, if the AA police were here, like, you know, there's traditions in Alcoholics Anonymous that say that I shouldn't say the things that sometimes I say, mm-hmm. like, in a public um, forum. You know, I'm talking with my hands and talking shit over. But, like, I don't know how to tell my story without talking about Alcoholics Anonymous because I'll be the first person to tell you that, like, to to talk about it in a general way or to try not to talk about it, like – I'm not staying in sober because I quit drinking no. and quit doing drugs. Yeah. I am staying in sober because I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and worked the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and continue to do so. Yep. That's the only reason I'm okay. For sure. Those steps are in place for a damn good reason. Right. They were put together for a reason. 
Um, I fully admit I don't attend meetings anymore. I, that doesn't mean I'm opposed to it. it. I don't have anything around me. I, right. I would for sure. You know, I it does. I like them. I enjoy them. You know, I like helping other people. That's why I'm. But a therapist. you do help other people in your life. And yes. like, I think that um, people like you, like sometimes that when people are like, "Oh, I don't need those meetings anymore," I'm like, "Too bad. You owe them. You owe them to somebody else." <laughs> yes, right? exactly. But I don't feel that way about you because you're do you pay your due diligence in other ways. Mm-hmm. But I personally, again, opinion, and you can call it crappy if you want to. But people who take sobriety and hold it to themselves, like I'm a little bit mad at you. Yeah. I'm a little bit mad that you're mm-hmm. not that you're not sharing your story. You Absolutely. Know, and that you're not sharing your experience, strength and hope. Because mm-hmm. I feel like we have a duty to do that. I agree because that once again normalizes it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, um, I don't know, I'm kind of a uh, a different kind of looking person. I don't look like your average Joe Blow out there. I think pe- no listen exotic. Thank you. But this used to be a problem when I was in high school. <laughs> Good luck with that water girl. Can I get you a towel? <laughs> Maybe a straw, oh a bib. Well, okay. yeah, I, I do that all the time. <laughs> I do that all the time. Yeah. But even when I was in high school, I was talking to my husband about this the other day. I used to wear ties. You know, there was you know seventy late seventies. You know, we wore narrow ties. American oh, Gigolo was out. Cool yeah, and I wore like four inch heels okay. and like really wild groovy uh-huh. outfits and yeah. stuff. And the good girls, the cheerleaders and uh-huh. shit, were like, "Oh, she's a whore." I had never even had sex yet. You were edgy. I was, and you know, so they would just, you know, she's a whore. She's a this and that, probably because her boyfriends were interested or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the problem was, but like, I think I told you, my the best day of my life was when the head cheerleader got pregnant. Is God forgive me? <laughs> God forgive me. I'm like, you're still in high school. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even have sex with my first boyfriend, JD, who passed away. God love him. Um, did you know Jeff DeHayes? Mm-mm. You didn't? No. Uh, no, he's made, he would have been way older than you. Anyways, um, he was my high school boyfriend, sweetheart, all through high school. And well, he was a senior when I was a freshman. And then he went on to college and I dated him when he went to Northwood. And um, after we broke up, um, about a year later, he ended up ending his life. Mm. Um, it's kind of dicey. It's a gross point thing, as you know, uh, suicide or did he just have a heart attack where, you know, nobody, I doubt it. But anyways, he was found in his garage, um, asphyxiated. And it was uh, very sad. He did used to start his car all the time in the garage with the door shut and just freaked me out, you know. But um, but anyways, even before I would even have sex with him, it was like a year. He even dumped me so that he could date another chick who would put out and I wouldn't. <laughs> You know, so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm firmly on the pill. I'm, uh, you know, we're going to, we got a special night plan. This is mm-hmm. where it's going to go down. I was the last of all my friends to have yeah. sex, but I looked different. I used to love to go dancing and do all kinds of wild stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So people would probably look at me and think, you know, I'm sure she drinks. She looks like she drinks. Right, you look right. like a cheerleader. Right. You don't look like you drink at all. And I sure don't look like a crackhead. Probably. No, hell no. Hell no. Yeah. You know what I mean? So people don't really know who they're looking at or who they're talking right. to. Right. But part of that with the shame that goes, so that is where AA is so, so vitally important. They have like a 95% success rate and it's because you go through all those steps. Mm-hmm. I wish I could just shake that into people and say, it's like a cult. It's like, well, yeah, it's a cult. You just came out of a cult. We're putting you into the cult of sobriety. You have to start yeah. thinking and remapping your neurotransmitters to think differently. Your yeah. neuropathways have to focus differently on sobriety being a good thing. You know, it's very important. Um, when we're living in shame, all that does is breeds uh, a low self-esteem and worthlessness because we feel that there's something disgusting or bad within us. And this happens right. with people, God love them, that have been sexually abused when it has absolutely nothing to do with something right. that they right. did. Right. <clears throat> you know, and they really, 
are self-criticizing. Um, there's a lot of blame and neglect. This can go, can go into like OCD type symptoms, perfectionism, uh, destructive behaviors, like getting in trouble with the law. Um, rage is as- associated with shame. Um, in, uh, acting out bad, you know, aggressively, um, you don't deserve better, so you pick bad men, bad women, whatever the case may be. Um, you find abusive people because you feel you don't, uh, you, you're not worthy right. of having anything good, right. right? My niece, God lover, um, is, her name is Stephanie, and I don't see her very often. Oh, I don't see her at all. She's my brother, has two children. Long story short. Okay, so my husband, his sister was married to my brother. Yes. You know this. Yes. It's like Jerry yes. Springer, okay? So Very he and much. I have nieces together. So one, Stephanie, is a drug addict. And I finally got a hold of her through Facebook a while ago, and I was like, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help? They don't care for me, his daughters, because I'm their father's sister. Okay. And they don't talk to him. Okay. Long story again. Yeah. Uh, so anyways. Well, plus they, she probably doesn't like you because you're sober too. That's probably. Uh, well, yeah. And I said to her, you know, I'm worried about you. I hope you're okay. All she wrote back after many months was, why? I'm nothing but a useless, no good drug addict. Don't bother. And I felt horrible. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this is what I do for a living. Let me help you. Let me do anything I can to help you in any way, shape or form. You know, I love you. No matter if I see you or not, I love you. So, <clears throat> so that's worthlessness. That's shame. That's disgust that we feel for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We forgive or we resist forgiving ourselves because we feel we don't deserve it. Would you agree with that? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're like, why would I? I don't deserve anything. I've done so much shitty stuff in my life. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, that was actually not not how it was for me. Like, I was kind of the idiot who, like, two days sober thought, like, well, what do you mean? I'm sorry. You're still <laughs> mad at me? Like, I'm sober now. Like, you know, for 34 seconds. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I didn't understand why, like, you weren't ready to, like, embrace, you know, you. embrace mm-hmm. me and, like, do whatever I told you to do because sure. everyone had always done whatever, done, you know, I manipulated mm-hmm. my way. So mm-hmm. it was, like, a very new lesson for me yeah. that an I'm sorry wasn't good enough. Yeah. So... I released a lot of the guilt and shame. I don't know how. I mean, very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You're lucky. I know. You're and, and, lucky. And I think it's unusual. To it is unusual. Stuff, but so. I, yeah, because I still carry that. I still carry shame. Horrible shame that I wish I could unload. I mean, Every, I do to a degree, but yeah. there's still I mean, stuff that I can't. Every once in a while, when I think of certain stories, I yeah. get a pit. Yeah, I get a little. But I can ugh. let it go pretty easily because here's the deal. Like, I feel like. Everything, and I know this is a little bit cliche, but like I am very grateful to have been to be who I am today in like every part. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that mm-hmm. if I wasn't a drug addict, I, I, I really regret that I hurt people. Yeah. But as far as me and my own choices, I really, I don't know. I feel like every regret, like I always feel like the one bar that I used to hang out at, which is where I tried my first everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's yeah. where I kind of fell into a lot of that stuff. What was this place again? What it's was called it? JY's and it was on East Warren. On East, oh, JY's. Uh, I used to hang out. It was Pete's, uh, was it called Pete's in the day? It was right across from like Point Billiard, Lodwick and East Warren. And, okay. Um, oh, I used to, well, back in the day, I was at Trump's on Harper. Okay. Wasn't that okay. like a strip Disco. Bar? No, oh. no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm younger than you. No, I know. Yeah, see, this is our age difference. No, I was going there when I was like 16 years okay. old. It, it was used to be spin the wheel night. You could dance okay. all night. It was okay. awesome. It was a great place. Okay. It was a lot of fun. No, this place was a seedy 
dark hole in the wall okay. full of alcoholics. Okay. Like it was really like the – but the G- drinks were cheap and there was like a very much of a family atmosphere there. There was a Coke dealer on, on site, you know. <laughs> nice. Um, and and credit to be given by the bartender if, <laughs> if you were – Eligible, which I was. Jay, the owner really was a. You paid your debts. Yeah. Um, well, and the owner, I'd be like, "Can I have a? Can I have a tab until tomorrow?" And he'd always be like, "Yep." And like, but it was only for me. I wasn't allowed to like buy other people. Yeah. So, anyways, but every bad. Um, I mean, I learned a lot at that bar, and mm-hmm. and g- drinks were cheap, and they opened at seven a.m., which I yes. really like that too. Yeah. Um, so it was very much like that midnight shift, the blue mm-hmm. collar, like really, I mean, mm-hmm. a little bit rough crowd, but then there was some new life in there because they also would like push the limits on last call a little bit and you could take carry out beer. So like, uh-huh. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot I of know great those places And my dog well. would sit up on the bar stool next to me. His name was Larry, my dog. And he would sit next to me on the bar stool and put his paw on the bar. Oh Anyways, my gosh. I digress. But my point is. There's a big part of me that would like to say, oh, God, I regret the day I ever walked into JY's. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I would not be married to Gordon and I yeah. would not have a son named Jax if I never – because I sure. met Gordon at that bar all those years ago. Yep. And you had a good time and, a lot of the time too. And there's some people that touched my life that I met there. Mm-hmm. So like even though – and I also do believe that if I wouldn't have found that stuff there – I probably would have found it somewhere else down the road because yeah. I'm, I'm in my heart of hearts. I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict. So yes. it probably would have come to me. It would at some, at some, at some time. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I would have been spared being a crackhead. I don't know. <laughs> but like, you know, of, of course I regret. I hurt a lot of people. I stole from a lot of people. I, I, I gave a lot of people some sleepless nights. Of course. Um, and and I've made my amends. You know, you know. Well, even if somebody had said to you, you know, I always used to say this to my stepdaughter, whose mother eventually died of a, a methamphetamine overdose at fifty eight, which is so sad. And she was out of Tori's life for many, many years, just totally enthralled in her addiction. Her family continuously would say, "She's not using." She's not a drug addict. I'm like, are you people crazy? Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me right now? No, she's not. How dare you say that and get all indignant? But you're an alcoholic. Oh, yes. I readily admit that. I am an alcoholic, but your daughter is running the streets using drugs. No, she's not. It was a fight to the death constantly over that. It was very, very difficult. I mean, a lot of families don't even want to ever admit that that's a problem. But addiction will find you anywhere, you know, in any place at Mm -hmm. any time. If we knew now what, you know, back then, you know, years ago, like I'm 17, almost 20 years, so, you know, long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. We did not have the information that we have now about how your circumstances and your anxiety and the symptoms and all this stuff kind of goes together to no, create. But do you think it would have made, I mean, this is probably a topic for another day, but do Maybe you think not. It, I don't think there's anything that could have, Maybe I worry not. about that with my son, right? Like he's only six, sure. so he hasn't had a drink yet, but mm-hmm. like I worry about it. With my, with, you know, how do I keep him from it? I don't think I can. Well, no, but you know what? Um, I'm all into scare tactics in with that. Like with Tori, what I always said to her was, if you don't try it, you'll never miss it. You'll never, if you don't try it, you'll never. Then as she got older, I didn't find out till later. Somebody was giving her, she's 28 now. And, um, um, one of her doctors to lose weight gave her those, uh, what are they called? Um, Apex um, or a FedEx or something. Effortin. Effortin, right? No. Mini things? no, it's a, a, a whatever. It's, I think it was Efferdin. It's not. It's, it's off not, the market now. Um, no, it's it, there. I because they tried to give it to me. Reese, it was like a peta apedex, whatever the heck it okay. is. Any hootie. I think we're talking. It's about just legal speed. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and they tried to give it to me me to help me to help me lose weight. And Mm -hmm. I was like, took one. I was like, dear God, somebody help me come down. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have an anxiety disorder. I need to be hospitalized. I mean, I can't handle that stuff. But she was like, I love it. I get all kinds of things done. And I'm like, why do you think you love it? Your mother was a methamphetamine addict girlfriend. Don't you ever take it again. Do you hear me? You will have a full-blown addiction. Then for a little while there, she was coming home and really stressed out and needed a glass of wine and needed a glass of wine. And then she came and stayed at our house last time she was here. And I was like, girl, you can put down a lot of wine. I don't like that. You're making me really nervous. And she was like, really? Do you think so, mom? I'm like, I know so. Be careful. You've yeah. got to be careful. We cannot start using it. Addiction runs on both sides of your families. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you have to really be diligent about yeah. that and really, you know, work yeah. on that. But I want to, so let me, um, a little more about, uh, worthlessness, self-esteem. What, well, you know, when we're talking about, um, shame, you yeah. know, because I think shame is a super important thing to get over, um, w- which is hard to do. And, you know, I will say this, um, recently, um, I don't want to get into it, but the someone who I'm having some trouble with, we're kind of ending, we have been ending our relationship. The first thing she did was bring up the fact that I was an ad, that, uh, alcoholic um, when we were texting about okay. something. And I was like, that's, that's really uncool. That's really uncool to, to drag that up. You know Especially what I mean? Especially all these years later. Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, um, when so-and-so was taking you, driving you to rehab, I'm like, which was the whole story was all wrong anyways. And I was like, okay, that's not nice. That's not nice to do that. And immediately I had that pang like, yes, I am. I'm an, you know, I'm a bad person or something. And then I'm like, what is that all about? Stop mm-hmm. it, Liz. You get mm-hmm. back. You, you know, you, you feel bad enough about all that. My husband doesn't even blink an eye at, or my daughter. I don't know why the hell I worry about that. My sister never says any about, thing about it or my brothers, you know, I've mm-hmm. forgiven my brothers, you know, I don't know why, but you know, people will like to use it against you because they know it's your Achilles heel. Yep. And you have to be aware of that. Uh, we resist forgiving ourselves, um, because we feel we don't deserve it. And so that's hard. So what is forgiving ourselves? Yeah. You know, I don't know. There's no motivation to change when you're self-loathing. Right. When you're sitting around hating yourself, um, why would you want to change? It's just like I can't even – it seems insurmountable, right? It seems like this huge obstacle. How am I going to change? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. That sounds like a huge fucking deal. Right, I can't right. do it. It's too hard. It's just too hard. And so people give up before they even start trying. Mm-hmm. What do you mean I'm going to have to call her or him and do and say, oh, my God almighty, what will I do? But I'll tell you what. Nobody's ever died from talking. Right. Nobody's ever died from somebody uh, or had a – you know – from saying how you feel and apologizing. Right. I don't know that anybody ever has. Um, so vice versa to that, um, the more you forgive yourself, the more you'll change. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right? The, yeah. the it, it comes easier once you start doing it, once you start saying, I'm well, sorry. Well, you have to believe you're good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of goes along with that, what they say about like, if you don't love your, you know, like you can't love anybody else if you don't love yourself. Like mm-hmm. it's the same thing about forgiveness. Like if you don't forgive yourself and believe that you have worth, yeah, you really can't go through life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that that looks. For sure. And, you know, we talk about life is short. Mm-hmm. You know, life is really short, but people don't really start to get that memo until you start getting older. Like, I'm 58 now. I have it. I got it. I'm like, shit, man. I, I You know, I got so many things I want to do, but I am, I'm, you know, I'm almost 60. I don't, yeah. I, 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 my life is good now. And I laugh. I told my husband the other day, I said, I don't, gosh, damn, Scott, we just started growing up. <laughs> right? I know. I feel like I'm 46 next week and I don't even know. 
I feel like a little bit more of a grown up, like the yeah. last, like kind of since having my son at 39, I feel sure. like I started to be a grown up. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I mean, I bought mums for my porch. Like that's a pretty grown up thing. That's to a do. grown up thing to do <laughs> <Right>? for sure. <laughs> I'm proud of you and your moms. Absolutely. That's, you know, and then you start making decisions on planning vacations and it doesn't all center on you. Right, right. You know, I was saying to my husband, because we're finally paying off like all of my credit card debt and stuff from college and finally getting back on our feet, you know, well, my student loans will be there for the rest of my life. I mean, they just keep going up because the interest rate's so fucking high. You know, it's such a... That's really our only debt. Dude, I I just want to tell you how much that pisses me off. I just want to get... I went back to school to help help my disabled husband to keep our family afloat so that we would have a steady income and I'm being punished for not being able to pay like a thousand dollars a month on my student loans. They were originally eighty two thousand dollars are up to ninety something Ugh. grand now and, and I've paid every single payment. Oh my god. And that Don't is tell so me wrong. This. Don't worry about well they can't hold it against you. Otherwise there'd be nobody in the we, nobody to have any credit. We'd never I'm be able to buy a home or do anything. Don't don't from school, worry. Only Do school not right. worry about that. They don't hold that against you in your credit score or buying home or any of those things. They okay. haven't with me. Not at I, all. I, not at all. I hope you're right. Yeah. My credit score is almost 800 and Mine something. Mine improved. That's yeah. So, and I up. owe 90 grand. So, you know okay. what I'm saying? It's... It, but it's still uncool because, you know, you see football players making three, $35 million a year. Yeah. But when they follow, go to shit in hell in a handbasket, who are they calling? Liz, the stupid little social worker <laughs> charging 100 bucks an hour. You know, it's not right. <laughs> Pisses me off. Don't get me on my soapbox. Okay. So you also may not forgive yourself because you need to be all good or bad with no in-between. This can be perpetuated through childhood and perfectionism. Do you ever have that black and white thinking? Do you remember that black and white thinking or know anybody like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if I should have been all good, I should have done all the right things. And if I didn't, well, it's over. And uh, right. there's no way of coming back and from it. And what's the use anyhow? What's the use anyhow? So that's a good case of the fuckets. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know a lot of people like that. I see patients like that all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, where's your gray area? You need Yeah, a gray I struggle area. with gray area. And mm-hmm. and, and I, I've, I've learned to incorporate it in some areas, but... Um, I, do, I you know I I do I still still I do still have the beat up machine I beat myself up about sure. stuff that I don't need to no and and I think for both you and I I think we are both too hyper focused on our weight yeah okay yeah. that's what I was thinking when you said yep. black and white I'm like yep and I'm yep. really trying to like let that stuff go and give yeah. myself like it's okay. Mm-hmm. to have ice cream today yes you, like just because I work out a lot you know so do but I. I you yes. know, I'm down. I'm down almost fifty pounds, but I still got fifty pounds to go, and I can't let go of the fifty that I still got to go. Well, for some people, for some people, they just lose weight. I've had a hysterectomy; it's very hard for me. My sister had a hysterectomy; it's not hard for her at all. So everybody isn't cut from the same cast. You know what I mean? So you have to give yourself. Yeah, I, I'm a chef. I love to cook. I am not going to stop. I'm not going to live on chai right. pudding or whatever the right. fluck it I is. Actually okay, made some and it was really Chia good. Pudding. Yeah, but it's it's all right. You know, what I'm I found saying. some paleo granola to put in. It. It was <laughs> oh, delicious. <laughs> I, there's some things I like, other things I don't. So, uh, but I will do the best I can. Yeah, with what I've got. Okay, and 
try to be gentle with yourself in the meantime. That's of what I'm course. trying to work on. Is yeah. I love myself because I do think, and I don't know if I'm going sideways with this, but I sometimes forget that we're even on the air when we're talking. Yeah, I know. That's good. Um, I know that I a lot of my self-worth also comes from my weight. So like mm-hmm. when I'm doing quote, quote, better and I'm losing and I'm working out all the time, I feel better about myself than when I am at a higher weight. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to really like remind myself that I love myself as I am today. Yes. Mm-hmm. No matter what. For sure. You know, but it's mm-hmm. not easy. Well, you know, I mean, I used to be thin. Thin as a rail. I didn't even have to work at it. It was just the way it was. This way of my family is a thinner family. I never had to worry about my weight and I had a rockin' body. And so what I'll hear is, oh, I used to be so thin. <sighs> and what, so what, and what's the second part of that statement? No, you're no, so you're fat. So right. It's like, why don't you just F off anyways? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And you know, and, but I can't worry about that shit. Anymore. I, I no, can't, I do the no. best I can with what I got. Okay. Right. I'm doing my very best. At least I'm putting my makeup on every day. Okay. Yeah. And my legs are shaved under these pants, winter or well, spring, summer not. or fall. Okay. <laughs> this shit's tight. <laughs> Those toenails are polished. It's My all done. There too, you go. Okay, women need to take care of themselves. You can't let that shit go to the sidelines. Okay, so <laughs> so how do we fix shame? So how are we going to fix shame? One of the best things you can do is self-understanding. Um, self-love, learn, self, well, okay. So what they say about self-understanding is understanding why you have learned this behavior, why you are triggered under stress to use drugs or alcohol or it's it's about explaining why you did your behaviors mm-hmm. and to do this you need to write a list you have to write a list down of the things that really who you've hurt who you've mentors. hurt and what also like um not just who you've hurt and what you've done wrong but also like who gets your goat like, mm-hmm. what are you bitter about? Because I think that's really telling. Is if you're the person who's always like, she did, me, 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 me. Yeah. And it's always about the same stuff. Like, what are your patterns? Like, what is it about you that makes you so mad that she makes so much money? Sure. Right? Or yeah. like, whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? Okay, because mm-hmm. that's the thing. The thing that makes you want to, like... You know, that that's the Mm -hmm. thing. So this is a perfect example. Yesterday, we're having breakfast. I just got done with yoga. I've got my yoga music on. We're sitting around and making breakfast. Everything's cool, calm and collected. And out of nowhere, my husband mentions this bastard that he knew years ago that was playing around with his wife and they were doing drugs together. And she ultimately left Scott and their child to go do drugs with him. And he ripped him off a bunch of different times. He starts talking to him, and I'm right, wondering if that son of a bitch is still alive. And da 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 da. And this and that and the other thing. The next thing you know, both of us are frothing at the mouth, <laughs> running around the kitchen, pissed off about everything that happened almost twenty, 20 years, years twenty ago. twenty-two years ago. Just ago, we're we're both like wound up into a froth, and I'm like, oh my, well, okay, everybody, just stop and take a deep breath, Scott. The best, you know, like I said to him, the best revenge is success. And you and I have done very well. We may not be rich, but we have a beautiful home. We have each other. We have our animals. We're happy. We're in love. That's huge. Mm -hmm. One's dead. God rest her soul mm-hmm. from an addiction. The other one's been in and out of jail forever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and the other one's dying of some other cancer. And, you know, it's, we've, we've come out on top. Mm-hmm. So yep. why are we working ourselves into a froth? Why am I ruining my whole practice for the day right. over these people right. that mean nothing now yeah. over some coins and they who- stole in a VCR and a this and that from your home and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And both of us had to like go, Oh, okay. We need to calm down. <laughs> I 
remember someone told me early on that we build self-esteem by doing worthwhile acts. Yeah. And I've always really, I always held on to that. And I think it's very true. When we help others, when we can get out of ourselves, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not an overnight mission, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's one of those things that a couple months down the line or maybe a year down the line, you can look back and be like, huh, I'm Mm -hmm. different than I used to be. Yeah. I don't think like that anymore. That's true. And, and so as, you know, when we're thinking about this, when we're writing this list, we need to understand the point of human imperfection, like of how our circumstances, our situations led to whatever it may be. Um, children who abuse their own children. Okay, that's a harsh one. Uh, there's a lot of shame that comes from people like that because they were abused. A lot of people, it's a learned behavior from their abuse. And they're like, how could I ever do that? How could I ever abuse my child? How could I ever use drugs when my mother was a drug addict? Right. There, It's a stress hormone that is triggered when certain events occur that that learned behavior of what they did seems to be the band-aid that you need. And that can even be striking your own child, mm-hmm. unfortunately, or picking up that needle or starting to do drugs or, you know, or, or yeah. drink alcohol in order to self-medicate. Um, because you'll see in families, somebody will not use because their parent was a drug addict. And then you'll see other parts of the family where people are like, I will never touch that shit ever in my life. Right. I'm sure you have, you know, people like that. Yeah. You know, but you have to give yourself the human perspective of why you, why you're like that. Why, why did these things occur? You know, um, excuse me. Um, when you admit your wrongs, um, you have to understand why and how, um, these mistakes occurred and what it's going to mean to you to let that go. So if you were thinking about letting go of shame, um, like some of the most shameful things that have happened to you, how did, did you have a conscience, a conscious thought at all about letting go of shame? Or was it just like, I got to let this shit go? Or how, you know, when we say forgive ourselves, I mean, that's a rough one. I think, yeah. And I don't know that I've ever like tried, thought about the process, but like for me, I think it's because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that. I'm not that person anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like, I know that I wouldn't do that today. So, yes, I did those things back then. Mm-hmm. That is who I was then. And mm-hmm. I am truly, really sorry for that. But the the me I am today would never do those things. Yeah. So that gives me automatic forgiveness, right? Because yeah. I know that I don't do those things today. Uh-huh. And um, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but, like, for me, it's all about living amends. You know, like, I have made amends. Um my amends process, like I think of some of my amends, like I, you know, was able to make my amends to my dad. And before he died, like I know, like when he died, I did not have one single regret. And that mm-hmm. was a really beautiful thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people that I'm like, did I make amends? It's been, you know, I've been sober a while now. Yeah. And it's not that I don't think they were sincere, but like the more sober you get, the more you realize how I think for me, like. Oh, man, I really I really screwed that up. But instead of going back and like rehashing for me, I just try my best to be the best, best, best mother, daughter, sister, mom I can be. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to owe people money. Yeah. I do. I pay it forward whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Random acts of kindness, quiet. I don't tell you about it. I'm just yeah. going to do it. Uh-huh. I, you know, I don't have money to do a lot of that kind of stuff, but I really like to. I love when I hear stories about someone who paid someone's tuition or not a whole tuition, but maybe like knew somebody had a library debt and called and paid it or called and Mm -hmm. paid somebody's lunch 
at school or, mm-hmm. you know, I love to get the guy's coffee behind me. But even more than that, like, sometimes I'll get, like, a couple $10 Tim Hortons gift cards yeah. and just keep them on my wallet for, like, the time that I know I'm supposed to give it to somebody. Mm-hmm. And usually I think it's going to be somebody who looks desolate or homeless or – but. Mm-hmm. One day I just gave one to this lady at Secretary of State because she was so kind to me and she like – and I was like, I just need to give you this. And I and then I kind of felt weird about it after because you don't want to like be um, offensive. I don't yeah. want her to think that I thought that she mm-hmm. looked like she needed it. But it's just – I like to have tools that I can pay it forward mm-hmm. just right away. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't currently have anything in my well, – but I, I like to try to think like that and – well, that's um, why I carry around scapulars from Father Solanus. Yeah. At the monastery, I give them to people that I feel need them mm-hmm. or um and you know, I sound like some devout Catholic, but I'm really not, but I have a devotion to the Catholic Church, you know, because mm-hmm. of my mother. Um but definitely believe in Father Solanus who will soon be canonized mm-hmm. to saint. And so, I was with a patient yesterday and we were praying she's having major surgery on Monday and when I pray, I pray to everybody, mm-hmm. Mother Earth and, you know, God and whoever the hell's out there, you know, please take care of this person. And I said, you make sure they put this on the front of your gown. Make sure they tape it. She's like, I will. I promise. <laughs> I promise I will. You know, I just, uh, I think that's a nice thing. I, I, did I tell you that recently I was at Starbucks waiting for a coffee and there was a dude in front of me taking forever in the line? Did I tell you this? No. Taking forever in front of me and I'm motherfucking him and I'm yelling and screaming and what the hell is he? This is why I had to get rid of my vanity plate because I have such road rage. So I'm like, what the hell is this idiot doing? Because he kept throwing his phone out the window and she's scanning it and he's taking it back and putting it back out and put it back in. And I'm getting more and more pissed because I got to get to the office and I'm, you know, screaming and yelling, screaming and yelling. Finally, he leaves. I'm like, you bought your coffee, didn't you? Yes, bastard. I got up there and I'm like, I'm so ashamed. Thank you for the coffee. I know. Aren't I horrible? I'm like, Liz, you, that's when I have to go. Okay. You need to slow down. Yeah. Slow down. Take a couple of deep breaths, you know, and relax. Yeah. What would be uh, your thoughts on the uh, best way to make amends? I mean, are there certain people you really don't need to make amends to that too much damage has been done? There's some of those out there. Um, Well, the way that it was suggested to me, and I thought this was really cool, is you make a list and you put every single person on the list, dead, alive, hate, love, every single person goes on the list. Mm -hmm. And then you move them. And there's a right now list. There's a maybe list and there's a never list. Okay. So there's people on there that you know you owe an amends to, but that you're never going to make it for whatever reason. They're either dead, which there's creative ways you can make amends to dead people, yes. right? Mm-hmm. There's or, great burning rituals for that. I think they're really helpful. Yep. Yep. Or maybe mm-hmm. they're just very sick or very toxic. And so, like, I mean, yep. I I put drug dealers on my – because just because mm-hmm. they were bad doesn't mean that what I did to them weren't, wasn't bad. Yeah. Am I going to go seek them out to make amends? No. <laughs> no. Um, and then there's some people on that list that I don't know where they are or whatever. But the cool thing is, is when people that are on your never list move to your maybe list and then maybe move even over and then you're making amends. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's a personal choice there. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely also, this is something that I remember talking to my one friend about. She owed this, um, because I think we have to really look at our motives when we're making amends too. Yeah. In fact, I don't even need to use her. I can make, use me. I had this boyfriend who I definitely owe, I mean, different varieties of amends mm-hmm. to, right? Yeah. 
And he really loved me. And I was never really all that available to love him because mm-hmm. and he did not know that I was a drug addict. He knew that I drank a lot, but he did not know that I was, you know, when we weren't together, I was smoking crack. Yeah. Um. So when I got sober, I really, really, really wanted to make amends to him. Mm-hmm. This guy was married. He had children. Mm-hmm. And for me to, like, seek him out, like, because now on Facebook and stuff, we can find people, a lot yeah. of people, right? Yeah, the world is open to so, us. So, you know, was it appropriate for me to find him and send him a message? And, like, now here I am popping back in your life so yeah. that I can make amends. Yeah. No business. No business. No business. Whether mm-hmm. I owed him $6,000 and I had it. Now, what you can do, and this is what I told my friend to do when this, because she's like, I'm going to write him a letter and then I'm going to, I'm like, no, you are going to send him an anonymous money order. Yeah. Is what you're going to do. <clears throat> yeah. That's you don't a good need idea. your name attached to that. Yeah. You know, and if he knows, and that's also humbling because sure. then you're not receiving the benefit of like, look at what I did. Yes. I'm but, so good. Yes. But also, he does have some accountability. This is where we go back to what is the accountability of the other parties or the, you know, the total circumstances. He does have some accountability yes, to that. But if he's married with a wife <clears throat> and you're popping back into his life, you don't know what that's going to cause him. Well, no. You do like not. so, you don't know what kind of wife that. I mean, Gordon and I like joke about stuff. I ran into this guy that I used to date, and I came home and I'm like, "Oh my god, Gordon! I saw blah 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 at the grocery store." And this is what he did: saw my old lover at the grocery <laughs> store. I was like, "Oh my god, I've never loved you more." Because like we like just are free. Like we get a, a private message from somebody. The first thing I do, I'm like, "Husband, look at who's hitting me up." You know, like that's how sure. we talk to each sure, other. Sure. But there are wives and husbands who it is not that friendly. No, Scott and I are like that too. And yeah, so, there's like, a lot that all aren't. of a sudden, you mm-hmm. know, you've got this letter from this woman who yeah. who was she, and why do you does she owe you three thousand dollars? Yeah, you don't need to mm-hmm. produce that kind of chaos in somebody's mm-hmm. life, especially if we're going back ten years, fifteen mm-hmm. years, twenty mm-hmm. years. Now, I'm not saying that I don't think you owe that person money. I think you do owe that money. And I think if possible, you should try to pay it back. Mm-hmm. But there's also um, – you could also donate the money to charity. You know, like I do feel like you – it is helpful. And I, there's still one financial amends that I sh- need to make that I have. And it's only about $300. And mm-hmm. what happens is I forget about it a lot. And yeah. then when I remember – it's a, never a good time. I don't have $300 when I remember. Exactly. You know? That's that one you need to write down. So I hate to say what I think is right when I haven't – my house is not clear yeah. um, in that way. But I think we have to be really careful to watch motives and watch what, what popping into somebody's life to make a good old amends might, yes. might do to them. And right? I understand that. I believe you. Yeah, that's – you're correct. Yeah, it's not going to serve any purpose to jump in there and start you know, stirring the pot when everybody's kind of forgotten about it and um, you're going to ruin somebody else's life. Can I say – I have a, a good friend of mine, a man, a male – who um, in his addiction and in his using, he had treated women not great. Yeah. And so he said, how can I make amends? And I was like, I don't I don't know. Like, let's think about this. Mm-hmm. And on his own, he came up with um, he wanted to like do some volunteer at a woman's shelter, but they would not allow him to do that. Yeah. So I believe and he's like, I want to do something more than just like write a check. So he I think he did donate some money, but he also did the um in her shoes run where like men oh, wear high heels yeah, for yeah. a mile and like go run this. And mm-hmm. I just thought that that was a really amazing that, that is. I mean, does it make up for women that hear it? No, no, but it, but it, at least sure, he's trying. I thought it was pretty amazing. It's one for of my sure. At least he's it, trying. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things though, that women deal with, I think coming out when we're making amends or trying to get rid of our shame, our guilt and shame is the people we've had sex with. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single one of us, 
uh, whether you were a prostitute, there's plenty of women that I treat that are, were full blown mm-hmm. prostitutes to, um, knowing the guy at the bar has got, got the shit. And so, you mm-hmm. know, it's going to mean, mm-hmm. you know, a little sexual act in there to party all mm-hmm. night and you don't really care to, um, an actual negotiation that goes down mm-hmm. to making a big mistake. Cause you were wasted and you wake mm-hmm. up going, what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And that for women, for men, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean anything. Now I'm not saying every man, so don't be hating on men. I'm just saying that for the most part, it's women. Mm-hmm. They deal with a lot of shame. When with that mm-hmm. um, and they find they have a really hard time getting over that I think that that's one of the times when you really have to look at the circumstances and I have so many women that come in and say I slept with him I slept with this guy what was I thinking but that's where you really have to analyze your circumstances like yeah. I have a patient I work with that is like my her husband was a son of a bitch and he finally knows it now so now she's full of guilt and shame right that's not helping anything you don't no. need to tell him anything you need to keep your mouth Zipped. I think that those specific examples are also a great way, though, that when you normalize it, when you learn. I mean, I've heard women say, in fact, a couple weeks ago, I was at a meeting and there's a newcomer there. And she's like, this particular meeting happened to have a lot of women. Because even if you weren't a full-on prostitute, uh, many women in drug addiction have at least yes. had a night or two of course. where they did something like that. Mm-hmm. And there was at that na- table that night, there was three or four women who had alluded to that in their yep. share. And when it got to be this young girl who I don't know if it was her first meeting or her third meeting, but she was brand new. She had tears in her eyes. She's like, I can't believe that four of you at this table just admitted to being prostitutes. And yeah. she was floored by that because she felt accepted. Like yeah. she, she was normalized. It mm-hmm. was normalized. Now, mm-hmm. even those who have, haven't done that, it still helps to know. I mean, many of us were promiscuous if we had a, if we were, had that yeah. lifestyle. Sure. And I think when you know that you're not alone and you know that like everybody sitting at the table kind of has a similar story sister and you're not that person today. Mm-hmm. So we build up your self-esteem. You start to love yourself and you know that you wouldn't do that today. Absolutely. And so I think that's the point of the whole show is that you, to make amends, you need to sit down, you need to do the list, as you said, um, the people you need to contact immediately, the people that are a maybe and the people that are a never. And that can include people that have died or people mm-hmm. that it's going to hurt them more than it's going to benefit mm-hmm. them. And clearly define what you're going to do in order to help make amends with all these people. They often say guilt and shame are wasted emotions, but they are emotions that we carry with us all sure. the time. And they're heavy, hardcore ones, especially shame. It's, it's We look at it as a flaw within ourselves where we let ourselves down and it can never be fixed mm-hmm. because we drop the ball that time or many times and you can never go back and remedy that because somebody's going to remember, they're going to bring it up or they might know and we live in that fear. So that's why I always say to my patients, you got to own your shit. You start talking about it in meetings, you start admitting to your wrongs and what has happened and how your life led to this and the circumstances surrounding it because mm-hmm. there's always circumstances. You weren't just a child who grew up and said, I can't wait to be a drug addict. I say that all the time. Mm -hmm. Circumstances led to where you are. And under those circumstances, this is what happened to me, but I am not that person today. So that's where your self-acceptance comes in, your forgiveness, and you have to hang on to that. If you own your shit and you're able to talk about it, there's nothing anybody can do to you. Nothing anybody can do to you. They can't hurt you. It may be a little twinge here and there, but it's like, ow, okay, well, all right, that hurt, but I think I'll be okay. I can handle it going forward. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that it's super important that we do make the amends. And I think it's the biggest roadblock people have to staying consistently sober on mm-hmm. a regular basis. Um, I want to give a little shout out to Bill, one of my patients who's made it past the five month mark. All I right, dare, Bill. God, God damn, Bill, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I am proud of you. I keep waiting every time I go to uh, check his appointments. I'm like, I'll see you at Monday at 12. Please confirm. And he's like, be there. And I'm like, yes, we made it through another week. God love him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I thought I would just quickly for a fun little thing, um, while we have a minute or two left, tell you some of the patients I saw this week. Okay. okay. Just what's going on with them. Just, I had two alcoholics, 170 plus. That's a very interesting case we should talk about at some point because they're trying to drag her to rehab again. And it didn't work the first time. Agoraphobic with a past family history and suicidal ideation, marriage issues and a husband who won't work. That's one. Grief and loss, always a big one. Bipolar disorder, one with psychotic features, always a good time. An addicted nurse, I've got a few of those. Mm. Uh, sex addiction, got to love that. Mm. That's always uh, an interesting one. Husband who's retired and now is running the show around the house mm. after she's taken care of it for the last 40 years. Oh that doesn't work well. Prostitution, love my prostitutes, actually. They're always the most fun. Um, they are... <laughs> Um, exaggerated phobia, untreated sexual episodes. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, to severe phobias and unable to live with what she's done. Um, two women that have suffered sustainable rapes, which is very hard on the family and on them. Negative parents who don't like them and they are their children, which is really, that's a hard one as well, right? And sexual abuse as a child by a family member. All of these things, that's just part of my week, part of my week, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? But it's nothing we can't handle, nothing we can't get past. And out of all these people, I have so many successful, happy people and um, that have come through their addiction, through their sexual trauma, through their abuse, and come out the other side, a mm-hmm. healthy, functioning person. You know, I think it's about talking to somebody and getting with other people that have been through what you've been through to help normalize how you think and feel. Right? I agree. Yeah. And moving forward and get support wherever you can. Find your tribe. It doesn't have to be your family. Yeah. It doesn't have to be your family. It can be anybody because that's all that matters is somebody loves and supports you, whoever they are. So don't get hung up on that. They just happen to have given birth to you, right? They just happen to have made you. It doesn't mean that uh, they are going to be there whenever you need them. Julie, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for a wonderful show. Thank please you. say hi to your beautiful family. I shall. Wonderful. Uh, please follow me. I got rid of all my Facebook. So um, everybody, I'm just on Instagram under Liz Life Guru. In a couple weeks, I will be on Dr. Joe Court, uh, his show. He just opened his sex, uh, second sexual addiction, or not sexual addiction, um, sexual institute in West Palm Beach. He tapes out of here as well. So um, that ought to be an interesting show. We're Make gonna sure do you it post on, about that. Yeah, so I will. Yeah, it's going to be on toxic relationships. He asked me to speak about that. Um, so anybody who needs a therapist, it's me, Liz Life Guru. You can find me anywhere on our podcast uh, here at Podcast Detroit, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for joining us. We're going to outro with my brother Danny's songs, Get Your Ass Up Off the Couch. From my heart to yours, be good to yourself. Please, you deserve it. Namaste and have a good day. Namaste. Get your ass up.